Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. So, Chloe, Uh what are we going to learn about in today's episode? So today we're going to learn why pelvic instability is simply not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. It's not a thing you have to worry about. It's not a thing you have to worry about in yourself. It's not a thing you have to worry about with your clients, including your prenatal clients. But people do have pain during pregnancy, right? Like Pain's a real thing, isn't it? Pain's a real thing. But we are going to look into, is it related to pelvic instability? Spoiler alert, uh, what is it? TLDR? TLDR. 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 They're not correlated. They're not correlated. So pain's a thing, pregnancy's a thing, but... Relaxin's a thing. Relaxin's a thing, but pelvic instability's not a thing. It's not a thing, and that's what we're going to look into. That's it. Huh. Sounds like a freaking awesome episode. Can't wait to hear it. It's. I think it's one of my favourite episodes. We can't wait yeah. to hear what you think. Have a listen. Yeah. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raph. How are you going? Fuck, it's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you too. Uh, you know why I'm laughing? Because so many of our intros, when we say hello to each other, it's like we do giggle. It's like we've got some secret going on, but there's no secret. Yeah. It's just like I think it's a happy time. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun. It's fun. It's fun. But I've noticed that a lot about our intros, it's like we're we're already half half giggle, um, which is nice. Um, How are you yeah. today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, uh, massive shout out to my bubble bubble buddy, Cat Webb. So we are in lockdown in Melbourne um, at this point in time, and um, yeah, single person living by myself. Um, it's uh, actually amazing to have a bubble buddy. So we were able to go, we went on a walk the other day together, which was really nice. And, and just, say I'm, just say I'm living somewhere in the world where I don't know what a bubble buddy is and yeah. I'm imagining you guys like playing bubble bubbles together or having a bubble So a bubble, so, <laughs> weird. Uh, no, our bubble, a bubble buddy is, I don't know if buddy is the technical term that the government uses, um, but I'm a nom- allowed to nominate someone that's within my bubble because I, I'm a living by myself. So I'm allowed to be around that person. Um, that's my understanding of it. <laughs> Maybe I should come down on how many details I'm giving out here because in case I, my understanding is incorrect. Uh, but anyway, I'm just, I, I guess I'm very appreciative of it, appreciative of it. So mm. yeah, that's what a bubble that's buddy awesome. is. And it's awesome to have a buddy. It's awesome to have a, it's awesome to have a buddy. And, yeah. um, and how are you, Ralph? Yeah, I'm awesome also. I'm looking forward to our chat. I am definitely um, looking forward to our chat. Yeah, I'm enjoying lockdown. Can't complain. I know you're so Lucky. funny how you enjoy it. <laughs> Raf, Raf's in his element when he's in lockdown. The rest of us are chomping at the bit to get out of jail. <laughs> Classic. 
<laughs> oh, dear. So, okay. Um, yeah. What are we going to talk about? Well, you said today you wanted to talk about – what did you want to talk about again? Yeah, well, I want to talk about another another hot topic that is currently doing the rounds of the interwebs and by that I t- seem to mean uh, Instagram. It seems quite visual on Instagram at the moment uh, and also – Let's be honest, this is a topic that just doesn't seem to want to die in the in the Pilates and some of the uh, rehab world. Uh, the elephant uh, oh, that is pelvic instability. This was triggered for me because <laughs> this is absolutely you want you want to trigger me. Tell someone to keep their pelvis, cue someone to keep their pelvis stable or talk about pelvic instability uh, in, in any, any you know, which way in Pilates, including for uh, where we see it predominantly with, with prenatal clients and prenatal cueing. And um, this topic was really shoved in my – like really brought – shoved in my face is probably not the right word, but highlighted, that's the better word, was really high, <laughs> highlighted for me when one of uh, our amazing grads um, sent, me, sent me a post um, of from a Insta influencer who has over a million followers. So this, this particular person – we could say they've got a decent reach. Would you agree, Raf? Over mm. one million, one million followers. I just said, Doctor Evil, <laughs> we demand <laughs> one million, one million followers. followers. <laughs> 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 Very Doctor Evil. Anyway, this person has over a million followers, and um, she was doing a post, doing some Pilates, what looks like Pilates moves, uh, about. Uh, pelvic instability basically uh during pregnancies yes and she's currently she's uh, my understanding is she's currently pregnant herself um and you know she was doing i don't know i could look it up there's like some i don't know some hip bridges some this and that some whatever but the the focus is on needing to do these things due to pelvic instability during pregnancy okay and the grad was like <sighs> Make this stop, please! Make this stop. We need to make this stop. We we don't have the, we don't have the power to reach out through the interwebs and and make a stop, but we can we can encourage cultural change. This is and this is and yeah. that that's what I said. I said let me bring this to the Pilates elephant table because this is a topic we would love to talk about, mm. and I think um, the more that we can spread. Uh, the truth around this and the more that we can bust the myth of the unstable air quotes air quotes the unstable pelvis um the more it will be seen as nonsense nocebic nonsense like legit nonsense and i always like to kind of take a step back with this too and get off my high horse for a moment and go well this person doesn't know better and this person wouldn't have made it up themselves. Do you know what I mean? This person isn't a, an instructor. This person isn't uh, – but so someone, someone has told them this, haven't they? Like someone has said, okay, you're pregnant, pregnant, that means you're pregnant, therefore that equals an unstable pelvis. Agreed, Raph? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, whoever told them, they probably just got told by someone who got told by someone who got told by someone. You know, it's kind of just in the – in the water at the moment, wouldn't you say? It's, it's in, yeah. And then I go back on my high horse and I start doing these ones. 
<laughs> I really try, I really try. Ah, uh, yeah, and 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 again, I feel like it's this um this flow and effect from from contemporary the rise of contemporary Pilates in like what eighties, nineties, early two thousands that just hasn't updated, basically. It's funny, you know. I used to um, really love uh, this guy called Zig Ziglar. He's kind of an American Zig motivational Ziglar. speaker, sales guy. Like you know, that's I've heard the name before. From, yeah, he's a cool, cool guy. Deceased now, deceased. But um, you know, I got a lot from listening to a lot of his audio tapes and stuff. And he told this story once about um, someone put some cookies in the oven, you know, to bake. And then they went to pull them out and they hadn't risen. You know how cookies, when they kind of fluff up in the oven. And he, and he said, these cookies, they squatted to rise, but then they got baked in the squat. You know, oh, so I've heard you say that before. I love that. Um, they got, so, say it again. They got. Well, they squatted to rise. You know, like when you do a jump, you, get, you kind of squat down a yeah. bit to, before you jump up. But uh-huh. they just got baked in the squat. Right, oh, so. I love that. I love that so much. Um, also, I did I think, squat jumps this morning, and that's it's easy. Look, to be fair, that's easy to do. Man, coming up yeah. out of that's tough. <laughs> and so, I think that's kind of the what happened with uh, a lot of contemporary Pilates. Is it in, is it incorporated science, but then it got baked in the squat because it it's it it didn't keep incorporating the new science as science evolved and updated, and and actual science has moved on. But you know, a lot of contemporary Pilates got baked in the squat. And so they're still doing contemporary science as it was when they were put in the oven in 2001. It's like a little right. time capsule, you know, when you go up to the, the attic and there's your chest with your grandpa's old war medals and photos from the 1940s and stuff, you know. Yep. Kind of like I used that. to love that with my pa. Real walk down memory lane. It was awesome. It was awesome. But yeah, would I like Pilates to have got <laughs> stuck there? Um, <laughs> no. So, okay, cool. So there's we we need to and I do feel like we have touched on this before and we I'm sure we would have spoken about it in our prenatal Pilates elephants episode um, and I think we would have spoken about it as well in our alignment episode and then in our nonsensical cues but look let's dedicate an episode to it so we know we're fully. We've fully ticked that box. Well, I don't think in any of those episodes, I think we talked about it in passing in each of those okay. episodes, but I don't think we really, you know, really thought about it, you know, thought through all of the, the issues in any of those episodes. So I think, it's, you know, it's it's timely to have a, a full conversation about this. Pelvic instability. Pelvic instability. Do you know what? Do you know what's cracking me up, Raph, is that do you remember when I first discovered the Roadcaster and then you were like, Chloe, don't touch the thing. Oh, look, that's going to get all really quick. Oh, man. Okay, Chloe, just get it out of your system. And look, to be fair, I always hit the wrong button. I'm not going to lie. I didn't really do it very smoothly. I love now that you love the sounds. (laughs) When you you gave me shit about them at the beginning. (laughs) uh, You've warmed to them? They're fine? Yeah, I've warmed to them. You've warmed to them? Okay, (laughs) <laughs> well, I think I need to label mine so I can get in on some roadcaster sound action. Yeah, I've got a little bit of paper here, <laughs> a cardboard cutout that they sent me with the roadcaster and it's just got all oh. of the sounds written on it. You just stick it over the keys and bam, there it is. Oh, that's really smart. Mm. Um, okay, so where, where, I mean, I think um, 
So what do we we need to unpack, I think, with this? We need to look at basically the anatomy and the biomechanics mm-hmm. of the concept of an unstable pelvis. I think, I mean, I think that's, and, and, and then the nocebic, yeah. the nocebic connotations of having someone believe they have an unstable pelvis. Yeah. Would you agree they're the main things we need to look at? Yeah, I think uh, the outcomes for today's conversation are, you know, if you're listening, that from now on for the rest of eternity, you never tell anyone they've got an unstable pelvis. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, unless you put air quotes around it and you're out having a drink with Chloe one night and you, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But you never, ever, ever, ever tell a client that or imply that. Um, And I want to, I want this to be empowering for, for all of those that have been told this. I mean, as I said, this, this influencer, she seems to genuinely think that due to being pregnant, she has an inherently unstable pelvis. And that's not a nice way to get around life in the world, is it? Um, at all. So potentially we can help uh, influence and empower, potentially we can be the influencer um, Mm -hmm. and influence in a positive way and an empowering way that this is not something that you have to worry about. It's just not something that you have to worry about. No, that's not a thing. It's not a thing. Unless you've been in some horrendous full impact car accident or something. Mauled by, by trampled by elephants. Trampled by elephants. I mean, Mm. even then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's start. There's some great studies. I'm excited about the studies because, you know, some of my favourite studies are in this topic. Well, so, all right. So the elephant, you know, just to really clearly articulate it in anatomical terms, the elephant is that you've got, you know, three joints inside your pelvis. You've got your left and right sacroiliac joint. Those are the joints between your sacrum and your your ilium, your your pelvic bones. And then at the front, you've got your uh, symphysis pubis, the pubic joint. And the elephant is that during pregnancy, particularly uh, additional relaxin is, you know, because everyone has relaxin in the system. Men have relaxin, you know, non-pregnant women have relaxin. Just pregnant women have way more relaxin in their systems. And And can you tell people exactly what, like what even is relaxin? uh, So relaxin is a hormone um, and uh, you've always got some little bit of it floating around in your system. It does various things. One of its key uh, effects is it binds to receptors on ligaments throughout the body. Um, and it uh, triggers sort of chemical changes within those ligaments that result in the ligaments, you know, temporarily becoming more um, malleable, more flexible, more elastic. Um, and uh, you just you release heaps more relaxin during pregnancy, throughout pregnancy and lactation. Um, and so as a result, and, and uh, as a result, you know, during pregnancy and immediately afterwards, uh, women's, uh, you know, joints are more flexible because the joint capsules are made of ligament, you know, ligaments surround the joints, etc. So um, it is a true fact that uh, women release relaxin during pregnancy. And, you know, I can't remember the exact number, but let's say it's like they have like 20 times the amount of relaxin that a, a non-pregnant woman has. So, you know, I don't know if that's the right number, but it's, it's a lot more. Okay. Right. Um, and, and that you know, as a consequence, you know, women during pregnancy have more flexible joints, more flexible ligaments, you know, throughout the body, not just in the pelvis, you know, in the shoulder, in the elbow, in the finger, in the, you know, spine, whatever it might be in the knee, you know, women are more flexible during pregnancy. And, you know, that's thought to be an adaptive process that enables the pelvis to 
basically flare, you know, during childbirth. So these fat-headed babies can, you know, that we make can. Oh man, I had the fattest head. Like I, I genuinely did. I was close to nine pound. Whoa. My mum was in labour for thirty six hours with Whoa. me. And I finally came out on Christmas Eve, like around about 5 p.m. in the afternoon with this massive head. And in fact, Raph, my dad still tells the story, bless. I was his first. And he said he came and he was like, oh, I had the most intense cone head because of the pressure (laughs) and how long I'd been in the birth canal, right? Mm. And dad thought, he said, he really genuinely thought there was something wrong with me. And he he remembers saying to the doctors, Oh, it's in my baby girl, all right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's really normal. And he said he'd keep coming back to check, like he'd come and he'd look through. Because back then it was the 70s, so dad wasn't allowed to just stay in there. But he'd come, he said, and he'd, he'd, he'd um, climb up on the veranda. My dad wasn't much one for rules. Um, and he'd peek through the window, <laughs> look at my head. <laughs> he was really uh, <laughs> relieved when it went down and just went to its normal big, like we've all got really big heads. Our family, genuinely. Mm. If we measured my head and your head, my head's probably bigger. Anyway, that was like just – I've got a pretty big head too. Let's (laughs) – we can solve this. We can get a tape measure. We'll get a tape measure after the show. (laughs) After the show. Anyway, I digress, yes. So, look, yeah, we can see why relaxing, uh, get big baby Chloe's head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so women during pregnancy have more flexible joints throughout their body, including the pelvis, but not just the pelvis, the whole body, Mm -hmm. because all of your ligaments have receptors for relaxing. Um, And so that's a true fact. That's a real thing that happens. Um, And uh, it's also a true fact that women during pregnancy have a greater incidence of low back and pelvic girdle pain. So pelvic Mm -hmm. girdle pain is just pain that is, it's like back pain, but it's lower down. You know, mm. it's it's in your sacroiliac. Yeah, my region. my sister had it quite quite unpleasantly, um, particularly yeah. second third trimester. Yeah, and so it can be very disabling um, mm. for for some women. It can be in the symphysis pubis as well, mm-hmm. in the pubic joint at the front, or it can be in the sacroiliac joints, or it can be all of the above. Um, and uh, so that's a real thing that you know women do get pain during pregnancy, and that is more common for women to have pain during pregnancy than when they're not pregnant. Mm. Um, and so both of those things are true that relaxin relaxes the joints and that women get more pain in the pelvic joints during pregnancy. So both of those are true. Um, but where the the myth comes in is that one causes the other, mm. right? Is that the relaxin and the relaxing of the, of the ligaments is the cause of the pelvic pain. And so mm. that is, that is the misconception that most people have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, that the, you know, when people have pain or they hear about someone with pain, they, probably have a picture in their mind of the pelvis kind of, I don't know, moving, you know, the bones of the pelvis kind of flapping around on each other and, you know, waggling on each other like some kind of. Hey, that's so interesting, Raph, that you've just said that. It's funny because I've heard the word a million times, like the unstable pelvis, unstable, and I've never stopped to actually conceptualize what do they think it is? Like, what do they think? Is it true and i remember seeing this in a study that pregnant people can have the sensation that something around the sij joint feels feels like 
am I am I wrong? Can you remember this study? Have I made this up? I Have I seen it? I don't somewhere? know the study you're talking about. Don't know the study. Mm, we might just park that then because I can't. Okay. Can't. In, yeah. Okay. But they can perceive. I'm sure they they can perceive. It can be perceived like a feeling that something is is not even, etc. Yeah. But it's a perception. Well, yeah, so well, well I, don't, I I can't again I, I, I can't recall the particular study yeah. you're thinking of, but mm. it is the case just in pain in general mm. that when you have a pain in a body part, um, what what can happen over time is that or actually fairly quickly is that that body part, you know each of our body parts has a representation in some part of our brain. So there's some mm-hmm. particular set of cells in your brain in your motor homunculus um, and in your sensory homunculus that basically says, um, you know, these sets of cells correspond to your, you know, right sacroiliac joint, right? And so when, you know, if I, you know, poke you with a knitting needle in your right sacroiliac, you know, joint, the, you know, the nerve signal goes up those nerve fibers into your brain, into those particular nerve cells in your brain. And that's where you, that's where you experience the sensation, right? So if you want to know where your sacroiliac joint is in space, like, is it, you know, rotated or left or right or whatever, it's those cells that have a map of where your sacroiliac joint is in space. You know, like, I mean, you can, you know, I mean, if you think about it with your hand, right, if you can close your eyes and, you know, touch your nose with your finger, right, well, that's because you know where your nose is and you know where your finger is even without looking at it, oh, right? Almost, almost missed. <laughs> right, and it's because you've got an internal representation of, you know, of where those body parts are in space, right, even without having to see it. And that internal representation maps to a particular part of your brain. It's called the, the homunculus, right? It's the little, little human, you know. And so you've got a part of your brain that is your nose and a part of your brain that is your right hand and your left hand and your left foot and a right sacroiliac joint and whatever. And uh, so what can happen in, in pain is that the particular cells that represent the pain, the body part that's experiencing pain, it becomes kind of smudged. And so the brain's... Um, uh, you know, map of that body part becomes a you know smudge. It's like it's 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 fuzzy, right? So you know, like somebody who had you know maybe a terrible pain in their finger over a prolonged period of time, would probably have more difficulty doing that task of putting their finger on the nose with their eyes closed because they'd have less certainty about where their finger is in space, right? Without looking at it, and so what? Um, and then you have also um. Other sense, you know, like, and but another part of the way that you know where your finger is, right, is well, you know where your other fingers are, right, and they're attached to your hand, and you know where your hand is, right, mm. and you know that your finger's right next to your hand, right. So even if you're not sure where your finger is, well, it's got to be near your other fingers somewhere, mm. right. So you you have this kind of different, you know, two different channels of information. One one channel directly from the finger saying, "Hey, I'm here." Right. Mm. And maybe that's a bit smudged if your finger's got pain. Right. And so Mm. it's like, are you there or are you over there? I'm not quite sure. But then you've got this other channel coming from all the other fingers and the hand going, hey, I'm here. And the thing, the other finger's got to be right next to me somewhere. Right. So you get this kind of stereo signal and one, one signal's going, hey, this finger's kind of in this weird place over on the side of the room there. And the other signal's going, no, it's right here on the hand where it always is. And that kind of is confusing to the brain and it feels like it's quote out of place. Right. Right. And that's where we get this sensation that we have, oh, my back is out or my hips are out or my whatever is out. It's because you're getting a signal from one set of sense receptors saying it's in one place. Mm -hmm. You get a signal from a different set of sense receptors saying it's in a different place. And you're going, hold on, this doesn't match. It's in the wrong place. Mm. So So that's cortical smudging, is that correct? Cortical smudging, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's common. That's common too. That's a common thing that happens when people have chronic pain in any body part Mm -hmm. is that sense that it's quote out. Right. And we've all had that sense before where your back feels out or your neck feels out or your Mm. hips feel out or whatever. And, uh, we know we can measure this and the, the sense that your back is out of place doesn't, you know, correspond to your back being out of place. It's just like, it's a real sensation. It's not made up, but it's just like, it's not a reflection of the, the anatomy. It's a reflection mm-hmm. of processes going inside on inside your brain. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so people so, can have... so cool. It's so complex and so awesome. Um, okay. Okay. So, but what's the reality? Let's talk about what, what is the, the reality of... Well, so... The pe- right. Like, let's, let's go back to the anatomy of the pelvis. All right. So, yeah, I think I pelvi- took us down yeah. a rabbit hole. So, the pelvis has... has Three joints, you know, it has the two sacroiliac joints, left and right, which are the joints between your sacrum and your ilium, which is, you know, I mean, your pelvis bone, it's called the ilium and the ischium and the pubis, but really it's just one big bone, right? It's yes. Not, yeah, so we just call it the, the pelvis. So the sacroiliac joint, and then you've got at the front the pubic symphysis, which is the joint between the two, two halves of your pelvis at the front. Uh-huh. And both of those joints are described in anatomy textbooks as extremely stable joints, Right. And what that means is that they basically don't move, right? So, you know, if you think about joints on a continuum, right? So at one end of the joint of a continuum of mobility, at one end is your shoulder joint, which is highly mobile. Like most people have like 180 degrees of movement in their shoulder, you know, you can do a full circle with your arm. And at the other total end are the syndesmotic joints in your skull, right? Where when you're an adult, those joints are literally fused bone. You have precisely zero degrees of move. They don't move, right? They're totally wow. fused, right? Okay. But when you're a baby, they're not fused and you can have a cone head if you want, <laughs> right? That's what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> My um, non-fused cone head. <laughs> um, but you couldn't do that trick now, you know? No, no, how hard no you I couldn't. your head, you just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, Apparently so, it was really impressive. Yeah, I wish you'd got some photos. I wish there was a photo. I think it was it was hard work taking a photo back in the seventies. You would have been crawling up on the balcony, taking a photo through the window. <laughs> um, yeah, so so at one end you've got these kind of like basically fused bone joints, right? Like in your skull or in your your sacrum. You know, your sacrum is five fused vertebrae, whatever. That that is, it's really it's not a joint anymore, right? It's mm. it's you kind of look at it. There's kind of a hairline crack there where you can see the bones kind of you know, joined, but really it's just one solid piece of bone now. And at the other end, you've got your shoulder joint. And in between, you've got different joints with different amounts of mobility, right? From, you know, heaps to none. And the, the you know, and so um, the joints in your pub, in your pubic symphysis and in your sacroiliac joints are re- right up the end. If they were any less mobile, they would be fused bone, right? They're this like one step more mobile right. than your sacrum or your wow. skull, right? And so, for example, the, the the joint surfaces of the sacroiliac joint are, you know, you think of like the joint of the shoulder joint, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cup-shaped socket and then a ball at the head of your humerus, you know, it's des- and they've got a cartilage on, the, on them. They're designed to roll smoothly, okay, like an egg in an egg cup or a golf ball in a golf tee or whatever. Um, but in your sacroiliac joint, it's, it's kind of like, lumpy, bumpy joint surfaces that are irregular and basically fit into each other like a three-dimensional kind of wood puzzle. You know, those kind of wood 
puzzle cubes that you have to, they're in pieces, you have to kind of stick them together to make it into a cube. Well, the sacroiliac joint, you know, it's got bumps that kind of, you know, there are bumps in the sacrum side that correspond to kind of divots in the ilium side and the bumps and the divots kind of fit together. And so the uh. joint, the actual bony shape of the joint is such that it's designed to not move very much, right? Whereas your shoulder is designed to move. Right, yeah. Right? The sacroiliac joint is designed to resist movement. Mm. Um, and th- so that's just the joint surfaces. And then there's the shape of the sacrum, right? The, sh- the sacrum is wedge-shaped, so it's, it's narrower at the bottom and wider at the top. It's also narrower at the front and wider at the back, right? So it's wedge-shaped in, in two planes and and the way that you weight bear on the sake you know through your pelvis it jams the ilium you know down on the sacrum okay and basically you know or sorry jams the ilium up on the sacrum jams the sacrum down into the ilium which basically wedges the sacrum you know it's like wedging a door stopper under a door right the tighter you kick it in the firmer it goes because it's because it's wedge shaped, it's what they call in biomechanics textbooks. They call it a, a self stabilizing joint, right? The the more load you put through it, the more the more inherently mechanically stable it becomes. Wow! Because of its shape, right? Because it's wedge shaped. You know, like you just think like the the keystones of arches, right? They're wedge shaped. They're narrow at the bottom and tall, wider at the top because and that way the more load you put on that arch, actually the more stable it becomes. Mm. So so the, and then around the sacroiliac joint, you've just got ridiculous fuckloads of tough ligaments that are just crisscrossed up fuck the tons. Yin-yang. We usually yeah. say Raph, fuck tons is oh, my saying. Sorry, sorry for my incorrect uh, terminology. <laughs> <laughs> is that a metric fuck ton? Or? <laughs> Imperial fuck ton. <laughs> I usually like to say fuck tons. I uh, like how, to- many, how many fuck kilograms <laughs> is that in one fuck ton? I'll get back to you on that, Ralph. Okay. I just like so to, there's fuck tons is what you're trying yeah, to say is there's fuck tons. I just tons. like to be clear on the measurements. Okay, so we do like to use science and data. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, because so- I know there's a thousand, there's like, a thousand fuck grams, right? In one <laughs> fuck kilogram. <laughs> but I'm not sure how many fuck kilos there are in a fuck ton. Yeah. So if you could get back to me on that, that'd be awesome. Okay. <laughs> I'll consult. I'll consult with my people and come back to you. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so anyway, what were we saying? <laughs> I got oh, lost over fuck tons. There's, there's a lot of ligaments. There's a lot of ligaments. Oh, there's fuck ligaments. tons of ligaments. Yeah, yeah, there's heaps of ligaments and they're really tough ligaments. You got your sacral, I mean, the, the, the sacrotuberous ligament, the, there's so many ligaments around How cool there. are ligaments, by the way? Really fucking cool. Like, no, but seriously cool. Like I was, mm. I was speaking with um, last night, who did I have? I had our wonderful Feb crew uh, who are in their pain and injuries module and up to fearless movement. And we did, you know, a bit of a deep dive around around the spine, got out the flexi spine, all of this, and really talked about how all the cool connective ligaments, tendons, muscles, etc., there are around our spine. It's such an inherently strong, stable structure. It's like we're so mm. well designed. Mm. We are. Um, yeah, and we're like tendons and ligaments are so cool. They're like these tough, mm. hardworking, like you know, they're the hard. Like I love them. I want to get you a t-shirt now with something, some cool saying about ligaments on it. Yeah, I'm really into you tendons know? and ligaments. I'm really into them. I'm really into it. We could just go like <laughs> ligaments. We've got your back or something like Lig- that. Ligaments, tough <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> 
What do you reckon? Ligaments, tough yeah. as fuck. Yeah. That works. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> um, what a great place to take a break. I just want to quickly mention that if you've got questions, if you've got things floating around your head, question marks, maybe somebody said something at work and you're like, not really clear on what that means, but I'm kind of not confident to ask because I don't want to look kind of foolish in front of people. Well, come ask me and um, you won't look foolish. You'll be a hero for asking awesome questions. And even the questions that you think are like, maybe that's a really stupid question. Those are the questions you get the biggest gold stars for asking. So come ask me. We've got a weekly Q&A. It's live. It's called Stop Faking It and Really Know Your Stuff. There's always a bunch of great people online. There's a, always a great conversation and uh, you leave you know, wiser, empowered and uh, feeling a sense of solidarity with like-minded folk. So love to see you. All right. Anyway, so, this, so the sacroiliac joint's really stable and uh, you know, depending on the textbook that you read uh, and the study that you read, um, you know, it, it has somewhere between a bit less than one degree and a bit more than two degrees of movement, you know. So the, the lowest estimate I've seen is 0.8 and the highest estimate I've seen is 2.5 degrees, right? right? So just to, you know, just to put some context on that, there's, you know, your shoulder has 360 degrees. Oh, right. wow. And sorry, what's and the highest? 2.5 degrees? 2.5, right. Your fingers, you know, the knuckles of your finger, you can probably bend to like 90 or 100 degrees, you know, yeah, and right. each knuckle. Yeah. Has each, you know, one knuckle has about 90 or 100 degrees. The knuckles collectively have like 240 degrees or something like that. Uh-huh. Okay. Your knee joint has about 170 degrees of movement. You know, it can go from fully straight to almost bent back on itself, you know, your ankle's probably got 45 degrees, 50 degrees of movement. Okay. Your sacroiliac joint has maximum, most generous estimate, 2.5 degrees. Far out. So virtually none, right? So, and and, if you were driving down the highway, you know, at 60 miles an hour, hundred kilometers an hour, and you turned the steering wheel 2.5 degrees to the left, Okay, and then kept driving. Like five minutes later, you'd still be in the center of the lane. Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. basically doesn't move, mm. right? It's it's within well within the measurement error of just about any anything you could use to measure it. So mm. the only way they can measure this is by doing fluoroscopic X-rays, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, yeah, so the joint basically doesn't move. It moves at minute amounts, um, and uh, the the symphysis pubis, you know same very very similar it's just got a really tough fibrous sort of ligamentous um you know um connection between those two pubic bones and it's it basic you know it moves a tiny bit but if it moved any less it wouldn't move basically Uh yeah very low single digits of number of degrees of movement and so the theory is that uh in pregnancy you know with relaxin um, the ligaments become more relaxed, you know, mm. they become more elastic and that allows more movement of the sacroiliac joint and that, that increased movement, you know, causes the joint to become air quotes unstable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which then results in pain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, that, but that theory, uh, hasn't stood up to scrutiny. Um, so, uh, yeah. so, so if we've got, Okay, so I think we need to delve into that theory then and say why it hasn't held up to scrutiny. So if someone who's not pregnant, let's say Akami right now, Uh um, you know, if we were being generous, really generous, there might be up to 2.5 degrees of 
movement available at my sacroiliac joints, correct? If we're being generous, most likely there's less than that, right? So it's it's imperceptible. Yes. It's imperceptible, yes. right? Yes. And it's it definitely imperceptible. Imperce- yeah, it's imperceptible, right? Um, and, but what uh, happens sorry, if I? Oh, sorry. sorry okay. Just before we go on with that, I'm excited about this be- because there's there's a whole bunch <laughs> of you know people in the world who make their living palpating movement at the sacroiliac joint. I'm thinking, you know, osteopaths, uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors, you know, maybe some massage therapists who can, you know, you go in, you say, I've got pain in my sacroiliac joint or my low back, whatever. They'll get you to stand in front of them with your shirt off and they'll stick their thumbs on your PSIS and their your fingers on their, their fingers on your iliac crest and they'll go, okay, bend forwards, bend left, bend right. Do you agree? I'll, we've both probably done something similar to that before. Oh yeah. I've done that shit loads of times. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I could palpate movement at the SI joint. I could tell if it was the phenomenon was rolling posteriorly when it should be rolling anteriorly and all of that stuff. Right. Um, but it, it turns out to be the case that actually those, when people think they're perceiving movements at the sacroiliac joint, in fact, they're not. Uh-huh. And and we know this because we do study. We've done. There've been studies done where basically they get you know they get people in with diagnosed pelvic girdle instability, okay, and you know excessive mobility in their in their sacroiliac joint, and they get physiotherapists or osteopaths. I think in this case, in this particular study, it was osteopaths, but it could apply to you know any profession. Mm. Um, and they get them to you know palpate and detect how much movement there is, and they do an osteopathic adjustment, okay. Then they palpate and they go, oh, yeah, that's normalized now. And then they stick them in an x-ray machine and go, what do you know? It's still moving just the same as it moved before, right? So they find out that the the x-ray detects no difference from start Mm. before to after. But the experienced practitioner in their thumbs, you know, they can feel that it's different. But, of course, they're just deluding themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. just like the people sitting in the, in the, 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 like the poker, the pokies, you know, at Las Vegas or whatever, they're th- sitting there thinking, oh no, if I just pull this one arm band at one more time, I'm going to win big. I can feel it. You know, I know it's going to happen and yeah. it's not going to happen though. That's the thing. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, so, all right. So, sorry. Yeah. You were just saying like, okay, so, you know, well, we I can just feel it, comp- but I- the reality, we think we can feel it, but we can't actually feel it. Right. So what I want to ask is, um, if we know that there's the maximal of, you know, potentially 2.5 degrees for someone who's not pregnant, what about if I was pregnant? Have they measured the difference in the, is there an increase in that degree of movement if I've got relaxin going through me? Uh, like an well, increase in relaxin. It, it's the, the, the short answer is probably, but we don't really know because the, uh, the gold standard way to measure this is by x-ray. And of course you can't x-ray pregnant women because x-ray is ionizing radiation, which kills multi- rapidly dividing cells. And that's what a fetus is, is rapidly dividing cells. So you can't x-ray the pelvises of pregnant women. So, so we believe it is the case that you know, those joints become more mobile in pregnancy. And and we do various tests that strongly suggest that it is the case that people's pelvises become more mobile in pregnancy, but there's no gold standard, you know, definitive test that, you know, that's for sure happening. Um, but there are a number of studies that look um, at the relationship between relaxin levels in the blood, in the body fluids and, and mobility. And we find that, you know, there's a strong correlation there. The more relaxin you have in your body, the more flexible you become, you know, so like there's pretty good, strong, indirect evidence that relaxin increases mobility of the joints and, you know, very likely the pelvic joint as well. Um, so I do believe, you know, the evidence 
you know, is pretty convincing to me on that, that yeah, the, the pelvic joints do move more during pregnancy, but I couldn't put a number on it because I don't think that study's been done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for listeners uh, or someone who already potentially believes that in fact, you know, relaxin does uh, cause an unstable pelvis, and then we've just heard that, well, yes, it, it is going to make those joints more lax. I, pre- I prefer the word the word relaxed or flexible or because lax to me, I don't know, just feels like negative somehow. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. It's like a thing okay. it's like it's a thing you wouldn't want your ligaments to be, right? Yeah, no, I don't want my ligaments don't want my ligaments to <laughs> to to be like Hey Raf, what if someone's listening that doesn't know what a ligament is? Well, a ligament is uh, connective tissue. It's made of collagen fibers. It's a really tough thing. It's kind of like a seat belt in a car. Like it's kind, you could bendable, but when you pull on it, it doesn't really stretch much. Um, and it connects bone to bone. So basically, anywhere you've got two or more bones that meet in a joint, you've got a ligament that that connects those bones. Usually, multiple ligaments, and they wrap around the joint and they stop the bones moving too far in any particular direction. So they like there's ligaments that stop your knee rotating too far or extending too far or whatever, um, or, you know, sliding sideways too far. E.g. ACL. Yeah, ACL, yeah. PCL, you know, lateral collateral ligament, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, so they, they just basically, they, they, they protect your joints from, you know, bending too far in any given direction. They also control the direction of movement. So they let your joints move in a certain direction, but not in a certain other direction. Okay, fantastic. Uh, okay, so Raph, I, and I hope I'm not making, like, I'm like, where have I pulled these studies? If I've not read them before, it's getting weird. Uh, I'm sure you've spoken to a study before that was actually done on pregnant women in regards to perceived movement. Uh, it was in, uh, so there are a few studies like that. Or, was, um, or were they not pregnant? Were they- they, they, they are, there's a few, the ones with x-rays are postpartum because right. you can x-ray people after they gave birth, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, so, so there are a few studies during pregnancy that look at relaxing levels and flexibility, like I said before, and we find that, you know, people, you know, because women have different, differing levels of relaxant, you know, like every, all pregnant women have more relaxant than non-pregnant women, but some pregnant women have more relaxant than other pregnant women. Right. Um, and, uh, what we find is that there's a pretty strong correlation between how much relaxant you have in your system and how much more flexibility you gain. Right. So more relaxant equals more flexibility. Um, but there's basically no correlation between how much relaxing you have in your system, how flexible you are, and whether or not you have pelvic pain. Mm-hmm. Right. So relaxing in pregnancy is a real thing. Getting you know joints getting more flexible as a result of relaxing in pregnancy is a real thing. Pelvic pain in pregnancy is a real thing. But it just doesn't seem to be the case that they're you know that one causes the other thing. They seem to both happen around the same time, but you know they don't cause each other. Kind of like you know. Um, you know, shark attacks and ice cream sales are pretty strongly correlated together. If you, you know, go look it up on the internet, you know, at the time of year, you know, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, July, middle of summer, shark attacks go up. Guess what else goes up? Ice cream sales, right? But does that mean that ice cream sales cause shark attacks? And if we, you know, do a big campaign to, to like reduce ice cream consumption, that we're going to save people's lives from being eaten by sharks? No, because ice cream sales don't cause shark attacks. They're both caused by hot weather, which brings people, you know, to the beach and also brings people to the ice cream stand. So, so even though they both happen at the same time, it doesn't mean that one caused the other. And it's the same with relaxing and pelvic pains. Like people have more relaxing and they have pelvic pain, but one didn't cause the other. And we know it didn't cause it. 
Because when we look at women who are pregnant and we see, you know, not all of them have the same level of pelvic pain. Some of them have none. Some of them have lots. Some of them have somewhere in the middle. Not all of them have the same level of relaxant. Some of them have a bit. Some of them have a lot. Okay. And how much relaxant they have and whether or not and how much pelvic pain they have just aren't correlated. They're not correlated. You know, there are some women that have heaps of relaxin, heaps of joint mobility, no pelvic pain. Some women have lower levels of relaxin, lower levels of mobility, terrible pelvic pain. It's just not correlated. So that's that's the first, you know, sort of line of evidence that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, that, And then the second line is, I think, the studies that you're thinking of, which we have um, studies in postpartum women because, you know, pelvic pain, pelvic girdle pain often persists after pregnancy. Um, and so, uh, and then we can x-ray women after they've given birth. Um, so, you know, God only knows how they get these women to volunteer, but, you know, good on them for doing it. Because in this one particular study, they um, basically um, anesthetized these women and surgically implanted radio-opaque, I think, tantalum markers or lead markers or something, basically little lead thumbtacks, right, into okay. their PSIS and their sacrum and their, you know, bony protuberance of their pelvis, you know, it's like, God, no way I'm volunteering for that study. Okay. <laughs> so they've got lead thumbtacks in, you know, precisely implanted with, with ultrasound guidance. Okay. You'd want to be paid a lot of money, right? A lot. And these women, I don't know how much they got paid, but I, I've, I've known I'd want more than studies. the standard, like yeah. 300 odd a day, it seems to be for, for drug testing. Yeah, no, I, yeah, there's no way you get me to do it, but um, but good on them for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then they get them, and these are all women who are diagnosed with pelvic instability and chronic pelvic girdle pain, and they're postpartum. I don't know how. Ah, uh, so do uh, so maybe they've done this because they they just genuine like they've had enough of their pain. They want, and want some to get relief, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then what they did was they got them to stand inside a stereoscopic fluoroscopic X-ray, which is basically two X-rays. Right in stereo, right, so it can see in three dimensions, just like we can as humans with two eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a it's an X-ray video, right? So it doesn't just take static photographs; it takes X-ray videos in three dimensions. It's like three D X-ray videos. Pretty wow. freaking awesome machine. Super um, cool. And but just imagine how much ionizing radiation you get. Um, uh, and so you know these crazy women, you know, <laughs> they stand. Well, we in, just in, we hope that they. <laughs> We hope, hope that okay. they they got paid a lo- hope they're okay. Hope they got paid a lot of money, and I also hope that they got pain relief. Yeah, that's what um, I hope. Well, but this study wasn't an intervention study; they were just measuring the movement of the pelvis. So they weren't offering them any treatment. Oh my um, so all they did was they they got them to stand on one leg, and it's called the stork test. The S T O R K, like the the bird, the stork, who's you know, which is, stands on one leg when it's fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, because it's it the the biomechanical kind of uh, theory is that you know as you stand on one leg so you 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 extend one hip and flex the other hip maximally that the the pelvis kind of rotates oh, you know, yep. to its maximum you know one innominate you know the standing leg innominate mm-hmm. you know the half of the pelvis rotates mm-hmm. posteriorly and the sorry the 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 flexing leg you know the up leg you know rotates posteriorly and yep. the standing leg rotates anteriorly and yep. bada bing bada boom you know, your pelvis is in rotation. Bada bing, bada boom. So that's, that's when you'd have maximal movement at sacroiliac joint. Yeah. And of course, if one side of the, of the of the pelvis is less stable, you know, as in moves more, okay, well, when you stood on one leg, you'd find a certain amount of movement at that side. When you stood on the other leg, you'd find more movement at the other side, right? If, if that leg was, 
if that side was hyper mobile. Mm-hmm. And so they then measured these women's movement in their pelvis doing this stalk test, this one leg stance. Um, and it was highly accurate because they've got these freaking lead thumbtacks in their ASIS and PSIS and whatever. Um, and they're using stereoscopic x-rays. And so what they found was there was an average of 0.8 degrees. This was a 0.8 degrees figure of movement in both sides of the pelvis the same amount of movement in the painful side as the non-painful side. Wow. Yeah. And so what that says to us is that, well, the pain's real, but it's not related to how much movement is in that side of the pelvis. Mm. So so pelvic pain is a real thing. Pregnancy is a real thing. Relaxin's a real thing. But relaxin doesn't seem to be the cause of pelvic pain, right? Just like ice cream's a real thing and shark attacks are a real thing, but ice creams aren't the cause of shark attacks. So, uh, and we have a, you know, we have another of a, a number of That was of the other. study I was thinking of. Yeah. For some reason right. in my head, I thought they, I, I just must've forgotten the postpartum part and thought they were prenatal. Um, it's called a radiostereometric analysis of movements of the sacroiliac joint during the standing hip flexion test. Sexy. What, um, and they're always such sexy titles, aren't they? And what, they're always just roll off the tongue. What year was that, Raph, that that, that was done? Was, so curious. Uh, Sturison et al. 2000. 2000. Yeah. Um, you know, and that other one uh, that I talked about before uh, is Tolberg et al. 1998. Manipulation does not alter the position of the sacroiliac joint. And that was a, a Röntgen stereophotogrammetric analysis. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got another one called Movements of Sacroiliac Joints of Ranch and Stereographic Analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the other one that I talked about before is uh, pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain and its relationship with relaxant levels during pregnancy, a systematic review from Al Darby et al. 2012. So, um, yeah, so uh, so pelvic girdle pain is a real thing, and it does uh, it does occur more commonly in pregnancy. Um, but the biggest risk factor for pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy is a previous history of low back pain. Mm. So the exact same things that predispose people to low back pain also predispose them to pelvic girdle pain. Mm. And, you know, I mean, we could talk about low back pain some other time, but um, those things aren't to do with how stable your pelvis is. Let me Mm. just do spoiler alert on that. Mm. Okay, so... I mean, this all seems pretty darn conclusive to me. How did how did this um, narrative then, this very nocebic narrative of the unstable pelvis, run so rampant through the the rehab and the Pilates stratosphere? And we know, we know that. Uh, and I love what Anthony Lowe said in our um, empowering postpartum uh, Pilates episode, is that. He's like, as a physio, I take some, you know, I take some blame for some of the the nonsensical nocebo that the Pilates stratosphere uh, keeps peddling because the Pilates stratosphere, we didn't make it up. It no. came ultimately from physios, from physiotherapy, yeah, physios, right? Yeah. So, and I and I, I love that he said that. I was like, oh, thanks, Anthony. Um, apology accepted. Apology accepted. That's right. And we think you're awesome, Anthony, but. <laughs> Like super awesome, and that's still our you know talk about talk about viral episode. Um, yeah, P- 
people are knocking down the doors to get him yeah. back in for take yeah. two if yeah. my DMs are anything to go by it. So, Raph, where, where's it come from? Because I can't even see, like I can't even conceptualise how it was ever considered to be a thing. With the way you've described the joint, even if we, you know, it, it's just illogical, is it not, that it would somehow be inherently unstable? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it became a thing, but here's my theory, right? Mm-hmm. Is that in in the world of rehab, you know, whether it's in physiotherapy or Pilates or, or whatever, like in the in the world of, of rehab, we we have this like really bad habit historically of making up a story about why something works before we know if in fact it does work or not. Right. And so we did it with you know, spinal stabilization. And we did it with VMO activation on your knee. And we did it with scapular impingement. And, and you know, we've done it with so many things. We've made up a story about what's happening inside the body. And then we go, ah, well, if the story sounds plausible, it must be true. And we didn't stop to think, well, hold on, all right, let's just check and see if that is in fact you know, what's happening in there. And, and we just go on from making up the story. The next step is, well, let's make interventions to, to solve that problem based on the story, right? And so we just made up a story. Someone made up a story and, you know, with all good intention and, you know, trying to help people and all of that, made up a story that, and it, it, when you think about it, it's plausible, right? If you hadn't read the research and you think, okay, we know relaxin relaxes the joints. We know the joints are more relaxed in pregnancy. That also seems to be the time people get more pain it kind of makes sense when you think about, okay, well, the relaxant and the increased mobility could be the cause of pain. That's kind of, it's, you, you'd be a fool not to at least consider the possibility that that was what was happening, but that we didn't just consider the possibility. We, we, we accepted it as truth and we made up a story about it and we started explaining why the relaxant caused the pain before we even stopped to consider, does it in fact cause the pain? Mm, and so we've gotcha. got this story, we've got this story about why relaxing and, and pelvic, you know, quote, instability causes pain, but we, we didn't even stop to measure, okay, is the pelvis in fact unstable? Oh no, it's not. <laughs> okay. Mm. You know, yeah. but so, so, but yeah. I think, and it's just like, you know, it's no, it's, and it's no discredit, I think, to anyone who has, you know, believed that because I was, I believed that for a number of years. You know, and I know you believed it because I taught it to you. Um, you know, I, and- I I absolutely probably said cues like stabilize your yeah, blah blah blah. Yeah, I trained you up how to do it. Mm. Yeah, we were good, really good at teaching people how to stabilize, mm. weren't we? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So mm. so I think like you know, it's I don't think it's any discredit if you're out there and you've been telling people to stabilize their sacroiliac joint or you've been thinking you've got an unstable, like that's no discredit to you because it's, you know, it's just a commonly held assumption. It's, you know, people don't think of it as a belief. People just think of it as a fact, Mm. right? But in fact, it's not a fact, it's a belief. And it's in, actually, it's an incorrect belief, Mm. right? And it's totally possible for people to hold factually incorrect beliefs that feel deep in their gut to be true, right? I mean, people feel things deep in their gut to be true that are in fact not true. You know, with, you know, if you're religious, think of people who who worship every God apart from the one you worship. They're all wrong, right? You know, like the ancient Greeks believed in Poseidon and, you know, 
Athena as like, yeah, we don't believe that now, but they passionately Egyptians worship worshipped cats as cats <laughs> as gods and deities. And look, you know, they might have been right, right? Yeah, maybe right. <laughs> yeah, that one that one we better reconsider. <laughs> maybe someone doesn't know what my, I'm talking my about. My cat there. certainly certainly think so. <laughs> if you feel it in your gut, must be true. <laughs> so it's a lot, you know, it's a logical fallacy. And we've we've yeah. spoken about logical fallacies. In fact, there's a whole episode on logical fallacies. Mm. Okay. Um, okay, cool. So, so, so we're I here. guess so I want to loop back. Well, I want to loop back then to, okay, well, if, because I, as I said, I do, and I have, um, probably ranted a little bit about this in, in nonsensical cues potentially, uh, or, uh, actually, actually probably the dangers in safety culture is where I would have really gone to town on this. Um, love thinking back to historically to our past episodes, Raf. Uh, but inherently, we need to sub out, and I think this is really important. We we need to be mindful of the languaging, as always, that we're using with our clients, and we need to um, things like asking our clients to stabilize X Y Z. If what you are in fact asking them, and I truly believe that most instructors are simply asking their client to keep a certain body part still, just say keep well, it still. Keep it still. How, how about even Raph try to keep mm. it still? Mm. Because maybe that, you know, like try, give it your best shot. See if you, you know, can. See, see if you can. Give this a go. Um, but just say the word still. Yeah. Just say the word still. No more stabilize. And it is yeah. something that I pick my students up on constantly and give them context as to why. Because yeah. I don't want them going out there in the world and you know, I, they're going out with all, you know, everyone, as we know, it's all best intention at all times. We're trying to do the best by our clients, um, but we need to be mindful and, and we can always we can always strive to do better. And it's one of those things that once you see it, once you hear it, you can't not see it. So the moment it sticks out like a sore thumb to me, stabilise your scapula, stabilise your pelvis, stabilise your back, stabilise your leg. Just try and keep it still if that's what you're wanting. Yeah. Um, hmm. Or even better, yeah. don't stop mentioning body parts and just say push the carriage out. There you go. There you go. Um, There's um. If oh sorry, Raph, sorry to cut you off. I got one more thing I really want to get out there while it's still in my brain. Sometimes these things are really in my brain, and then if I don't just get them out, they're lost forever. Probably until we hit. Uh, end, and then I go, oh, these are all the things I wanted to talk about. Until um, the cat gods come back and uh, <laughs> take, take the world over. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, w- there is, and we can link to this in the, the show notes, there's a really powerful, and I have uh, used this episode of um, Meekin's um, NAF Physio podcast before to highlight, particularly to my diploma students, uh, just the, the the absolute flow and effect uh, someone believing that their pelvis is inherently unstable can have on their life for many, many years, including debilitating pain and operations. Uh, there's an episode of the NAF Physio podcast where um, I think for some whatever reason, uh, Adam couldn't get a hold of Greg that day. <laughs> Be like you couldn't get a hold of me, Raph. You bring on a really awesome guest and it turns out to be one of the best episodes ever. Well, literally that's what Adam did. He put a call out. I remember the call out went out on Facebook. Hey, don't know where Layman is, <laughs> but <laughs> who'd like to come in, come on as a guest? And Amy Bush um, came on as, as a guest. She now works within the realm of uh, pain science. 
Um, and uh, she was she was basically a really um, short story. Long story short, she was a, a very active um, child, very active teenager, very active when she was at college and uh, competitive swimming. She developed some pain. I can't remember with back, pelvis. I can't quite remember the details there. And went and saw a healthcare provider, was told she had uh, basically an unstable pelvis and needed to stop swimming. So imagine being told that. Uh, I don't even know if she was 20 yet. Uh, it, the narrative continued to her being told she shouldn't have children due to this unstable pelvis. She actually went on to have, um, if I remember correctly, spinal surgery and so on and so forth uh, and had a long, cut a long story short, did not have an unstable pelvis, right? This this dramatically is not, a thing. is not a thing. This dramatically affected her life as you can imagine, dramatically for years upon years upon years. And uh, she very generously shares her story um, and also, you know, the steps that she – like how did she kind of get to where she is now and back to a sense of fearless movement and empowerment within her body and now being someone who educates in the realm of pain science. So it's it's a brilliant – um, listen and uh, it will have you in tears. I don't know how anyone can listen to this episode uh, with a dry eye. Um, it's very powerful. So I'd love if this has been an episode that you're like, wow, cool. And you now want to hear. So what we've given you basically is we've given you the factoids. Yeah. I'd now love you all to actually hear uh, someone's lived experience of being told they have an unstable pelvis. Mm. Yeah, it's a powerful episode and mm. maybe I'll get her on when you're away one time. Oh, I wouldn't <laughs> even be mad about that. <laughs> I'd just be like, I can't wait to listen to that episode. I freaking love Amy. Hey, um, there's something I want to touch on before we close, which is, you know, something, a couple of uh, questions that people often have, you know, when we talk about this in, in training is, um, oh, but what about, you know, splits and lunges and, you know, stretches and things like that? You know, should I avoid those? And what if I get pain or my client gets pain, you know, in side splits or front splits or whatever like that? Um, you know, doesn't that mean that the pelvis is unstable? And the answer is no, it doesn't. It, you know, getting pain in a movement doesn't mean that there's damage or physical danger. It just means that the, sen- the nervous system is perceiving a threat uh, and that can be correctly or incorrectly perceiving a threat. Um, and so, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I would encourage you to, to not take pain during a movement, whether pregnant or not, as a sign that you should automatically stop, but that just, you know, uh, to think about, or, you know, to, to, for the main consideration to be the, the woman's tolerance of that symptom you know like if the symptom's mild and you know it's not bothering her but it's worrisome she's concerned that it it means that her pelvis is about to snap in half well you should reassure her that she's perfectly safe and there's no problem and it's just a bit of pain and it's not a thing to worry about and she should keep going but if she's if she's uh you know in so much discomfort that she's like no i'm really not enjoying this movement because it freaking hurts well you just what do what you would do for someone who had a sore shoulder every time they lift their arm above their shoulder to say well don't go so high you know if do what you would do for someone who had a sore you know back every time they touch their toes is like well don't go so far you know like just don't do the side splits so deep or the front splits so steep or whatever just do a smaller range of movement or add an extra half spring to give a bit more support or 
do it on your knees instead. Or, you know, like there'll be so many ways that you could modify that exercise to just reduce the load or the range of motion or a bit of both so that the symptom is tolerable, but not because it's dangerous, not because it's a signal that you're doing any damage, just because like, it, you know, if the woman's not enjoying the pain, you know, just modify like you would for anybody else who had a pain in a body part. You know, like if I went in as a man who's never been pregnant and I'm doing side splits and I say every time I do side splits, my knee really hurts, you know, what would you do for me? Would you say bend your knees a bit, maybe, you know, do smaller range of motion? Mm. Just do that same thing for the pregnant woman with pelvic pain. Pregnant person. Pregnant I'm person. getting pregnant person. It's great. You're hearing, uh, you're actually, hearing, yeah. Actually, Raf, uh, I, I just, on that point, I just want to say how many uh, DMs, I've really shocked at how many DMs I've had um, thanking us for uh, highlighting person as opposed to woman in the um, postpartum um, episode. So it's something that's really resonating with our listeners um, to the point that I, I've actually lost count now of how many DMs I've had that said that that was so incredibly refreshing and inclusive and um, felt really empowering for them and, and their social circle and their friends. Um, and what I want to say is the person I want to give the biggest shout out to that on is Shaman because it was really Shaman who highlighted that uh, for me um, and a, a while ago. And again, for me, it's one of those things, again, you, you see it, you can't unsee it. We absolutely, um, someone who doesn't identify as woman, female, she, her, can still be pregnant, can still get pregnant. So, um Thank you, Shaman, for bringing awareness to that for me. Uh, and as someone myself who has their pronouns uh, in my Instagram account and my, you know, I've got that there and that is to empower that all of us can, you know, we, we don't have to identify as she, her or he, him or they. That, and it just makes it, yeah, more visible for for all so it's, um it's, I, I i agree entirely but it's such a habit you know it's so hard to, to catch myself when i say oh oh it's totally a habit and you know how i've been doing this rough it's kind of similar to when i first started you know but basically what i say now when i present um anything that's that's prenatal or postpartum i actually say at the beginning of class i am working on my pronouns i am going to try my best to be inclusive and use they, them, people, uh, it's still a habit of my mind to say she, her, woman, women. Uh, so you will notice me catch myself and I'll be a bit clunky on it and I won't I won't nail it each time, but each time I'll get better at it. So That's I've something been, you do really well is you do the announcement up front at the start of class. You do that for queuing as well. Yeah, get it out there. Uh, mm. You know, I'm not – I'm definitely not perfect. I'm highly fallible, but I'm trying, trying my best. Um, so I, I'm all about visibility and, um, yeah. And then people appreciate that you're, you're making, you're making an effort to mm. grow and which is what we are. We're asking, we're asking our listeners and our uh, audience and our, you know, uh, society <laughs> really to grow along with us with a lot of these that we are bringing up in Pilates Elephants. So I think it's really awesome when we model uh, that we are also, you know, there are things that it might be new to us that, that you know, habit, et cetera, and we're, and we're working on it too. So, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, in, I think, you know, that's something that I'd like to highlight as well, just like in 
in all the areas that we talk about, the science and all that, like it's not us knowing all the things and no. you out there like, you know, learning all the things. It's like we're learning the things, you know, at the same speed you're learning the things. We've just learned like five things more than you have about this particular topic already, but there's still like 7,000 million things we don't know about it. So we just, you know, we just, we're still learning a lot of this stuff. We just learn when we do the research for the episode or whatever. Hey, Raph, 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 a lot of this stuff I just learned for the first time when you start, you know, like the, the details, the actual factoids, I'm, you know, often learning in the moment along with our, I'm, I'm hoping kind of along with our listeners and also props to our listeners. Maybe you already know this stuff too freaking awesome and it's just uh it can be really nice i know i really like listening to um podcasts where it's like okay cool there's also some awesome yeah. confirmation bias here yeah. and it's just really nice to you know i love hearing about pain science i feel like i'm pretty you know well versed on it but i still love listening to you know podcast episodes about it and each yeah. time you get something new or just a different way maybe of explaining it or whatnot but yeah so this is a great, this is good. I really hope this is really helpful. And if it has been really helpful, why don't you write us a review on the Apple Podcast app? Please, because I have done a little sneaky look at the the reviews and I mustard, they're still like, they're up there, but they, we've had like kind of like a, a level off. Like people aren't kind of going in and reviewing us anymore, I've noticed. Um, so I would love if you could amp it up for us. Yeah, don't be it. Don't don't fall victim to this, the phenomenon of social loafing, where everyone thinks, "Oh, yeah, I should." Someone do else will do it. Someone else will do it. You know, yeah. no, you do it. Go you on, do, do it. it now. We would we would really appreciate that. Yeah. So, thanks, Ralph. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Good talk. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily. I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com.
www.breathingmedicine.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.